You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. Christian Babcock, the host of the Hunter's Advantage podcast. And what we do on the podcast is we talk to disruptive companies in the outdoor industry, talk about innovative hunting solutions that are changing the landscape, as well as offer you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. All in all, I just want to help you become a better hunter by providing you with high quality knowledge and information that you can trust. Stay tuned. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks for coming back, listening, watching the podcast. Today, we're joined uh, by The Element. Um, I was just telling them I've been following them since, since they've had 1,600 subs. Uh, by the way, this is Hunter's Advantage podcast number 70. Uh, thanks for thanks for joining me, guys. Love the love the names. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks <man>. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes when we're giving it an extra 30 seconds, we do some really silly stuff. So Actually, That's awesome. Backwards. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. Your name Bucky is... Bucky McBuckson's over here. Yeah, this is Buck Truck Driver. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's awesome. So, are you guys enjoying the cold? Are you guys getting any cold in the East Texas right now? Mm, We're getting over it. Yeah, today's a warm day. I think uh, Wednesday night we get another cold front. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it's going to get 70 something today. It's cold last few days, though. We've had some nights in the 20s, which is cold for us, you know? Right. No, I'm over in Fort Worth and my wife is like anytime it's under 50 she's from austin so anytime it's oh, under yeah. 50 she's freaking out and i'm from like northeast oklahoma so like 50 is like awesome that's like t-shirt weather <laughs> yeah. yeah we're somewhere in between that we're probably a little closer to the austin side of things but uh not used to wearing shorts year round or anything you know i do have on shorts today <laughs> that's true <laughs> that's awesome well i mean like i just mentioned i'm from oklahoma it looks like you guys had a, a pretty good trip to oklahoma recently why don't you talk a little bit about that we did, man. I uh, actually hunted a couple different times in Oklahoma. We were kind of privileged this year because uh, Tyler and I both filled tags in Kansas pretty early on. So kind of gave us some freedom to explore some, some I wouldn't call them new places, but some new tags at least. It's stuff that we've scouted. And we always kind of have this idea in our back pocket, depending on how much freedom we get with field tags of where we're going to go and what we're going to do. So I uh, actually, we had a buddy go up. Um, you might've seen Hunter on some of the stuff we do, but he went up to Oklahoma and hunted some, had a real good hunt about the same time you were in Colorado, right? Before it was yeah. early November, I believe. Uh, wasn't y'all it? were on the way home from Colorado. No, he was, because we were trying to drop to Eric off with you. No, he went to Oklahoma when we were in Kansas. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> we got that worked out. <laughs> it's <laughs> so confusing when you start traveling so oh, much, man. you're just like, right. you know. Yeah, for us at least, and there's a lot of moving parts too. You know, we got that's right. five dudes hunting. So. Y'all were on the way home from Kansas when we were trying to get Eric to him. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was there in early November. Had yeah. a really good hunt. Yeah. Um, encountered some big deer. Yeah, and then kind of convinced me that that would be a good place for me to go. I kind of already had it on my mind, anyways, and uh, went up there shortly after. And I ended up hitting the moon real weird, and I'd never seen this affect it that way, but I, it's really, really seemed to affect the deer hunting. Um, evenings were just quiet. I was there for five days, and nothing. I never had a good encounter in the evening. I hardly even saw deer in the evening. Is that because the moon wasn't pulling on the deer and That's making it. them get out of their beds? Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know, if the moon is overhead, it's kind of like a tide of deer, you know? <laughs> right. No, I think it was just because they were, uh, you know, up all night, and they'd still be kind of on their feet going back where they're going in the mornings, but in the evenings, they just had no reason to get up because they knew they could see after <clears> the sun went down. Um, so, had some good encounters. I self-filmed a lot on that trip, 
and uh, just didn't really get any good shots. Um, and just is what it is. Went back with a camera guy about three weeks later. Had some pretty good encounters. Didn't ever get a shot. I don't. I didn't shoot. No. No. I didn't shoot any at all. On that Saw trip. some bucks late in the hunt that were good. Yeah. I know this because I was editing it just this morning. <laughs> I was editing yeah. that video. So. And then uh, ended up we went up on one last big push late season, um, and I killed a really good buck. Uh, I think for, you yeah. know, public, he's old deer, you know, six year old plus type deer. It's hard to say when you don't have any experience with the animals, but you know, jaws were worn out and stuff. So, uh, shot that deer on a, uh, pattern to water funny enough, which you don't think about late season as much. Kind of a weird pattern. Yeah. Yeah. Droughts are droughts, you know, it doesn't really matter what time of year it is. And that deer was about to head over and drink out of a cattle cistern so uh we patterned them and figured out where they're crossing the fence to go do that using some cell cameras we use those moultries and uh yeah kind of uh put a plan together and the ogs here uh <laughs> laid it down on some footage for the first time since 2017 it's the first time we've been in the tree together and killed a deer or killed a buck since 2017 yeah. so that was kind of That's exciting awesome. yeah thanks that was so a really long uh, explanation so you're what's welcome. the rationale i've seen you guys go all over the country, like Kansas, Illinois, all, all these other places. Why skip in the, the one state that, that borders you guys for so long? Because from my perspective, it's such a non-resident friendly state as far mm -hmm. as the tag costs, as many tags as you can get. You can shoot two bucks. Why, why skipping over Oklahoma for so long? Uh, not that I'm asking, well, not that I'm begging you guys to come in, by the way. No, but. you know, that's that's exactly the problem is because uh, we did some scouting in Oklahoma. Tyler's hunted Oklahoma before in the past, mm -hmm. and uh, it seemed like Oklahoma actually kind of got a spotlight for a few years. You know, that that kid up there <laughs> around Tulsa killed that giant, and, uh, you know, a lot of podcasts and stuff were talking about it, so it was kind of like, man. There's a bunch of, like, 180s being killed. Yeah. There was uh, well, a bunch just of, a good thing, right? Yeah, but, right. a bunch of YouTubers were hunting out there and stuff, too, so you are finding, like, I don't know that it, I don't know that it has hurt Oklahoma, but in our eyes, we were like, ah, you know, let's People go try everywhere. something else, you know. Yeah. Plus, there's only so many time, so many days in the year, right? And Oklahoma's always been like a, a one of those states where we're like, if we tag out mm -hmm. in Kansas or elsewhere where we've drawn tags, then we can go there because it's OTC, right? So, you know, let's do that in December. And then we're always ending up like last year, I was chasing a, you know, a deer in Kansas till December 28th or whatever. So it just didn't pan out for me. It's not that I didn't want to or, that, it, you know, I couldn't or whatever. But I do know that, like, once rifle happens in Oklahoma, there's a lot of three-plus-year-old bucks that get taken that, you know. So it, it's not that there's none left out there, but I just, I'm just i just thinking, like, you know, if I have tags left, I want to be hunting in states that, uh, you know, probably don't put their rifle during the rut, you know, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And, um, I mean, we're from Texas. You live in Texas now. Uh, you know that. December and stuff can be pretty good in Texas because, you know, depending on where you're at, you're in the heart of the rut or you're kind of still on the tail end of it and stuff. And uh, in the past, we've, you know, really kind of focused around home in December. Um, but you killed your your ranch buck. It wasn't December, but it was late, late November, November 30th. Yeah. Yep. So and you had some good hunts in early December on your property. This yeah. Year. So, yep. you know, we you know, it's nice to stay close to home some, too. But uh, just with some of the situations we had this year going on it was like man it makes sense you know let's go chase some bucks yeah we tried some of that uh some public hunting like we, we had a pretty good november we killed three or four different bucks on public but 
um, in Oklahoma. But then we went back this last weekend, maybe it was two weekends ago. I didn't see a deer driving the road. I didn't see no. a deer from the stand. We hunted all weekend and it's like, it's like those deer go into just ultimate hibernation after the rifle season, the muzzleloader season, people hunting them hard. It's just nothing. That's why I was so impressed with you guys getting one. I mean, it's like you're saying, it's tough in Oklahoma late season. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. man. Appreciate that. I mean, it's not that we're uh, great at this or anything, but we just put ourselves in a, in a lot of opportunities. You know, that's yeah. kind of what it took. I mean, uh, what it was, we hunted five days. Uh, we killed on the kill, third or fourth, fourth day. day. Killed on the fourth day. day. You know, I had five days to hunt. And uh, it was literally the day before when we were like, man, I don't know if this is going to happen. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I had a, <clears throat> an encounter on the ground with a buck that was like a two or three-year-old nine-point, you know, on December 29th like he's definitely a shooter you know for me uh you know <laughs> i love to shoot stuff <laughs> so, yeah of course uh, me too and uh it didn't it didn't uh come to fruition right so he got away and i was thinking man that was my chance you know it's probably over after this and yeah just kind of you know put ourselves in front of one as, right. as i don't mean yeah. to oversimplify it right but well i think it, i mean you could if you wanted to get a little more detailed, maybe the thing that that water pattern was for us was the limited resource. Yeah. I mean, we had food was a limited resource as well, but um, everybody up there has already killed a bunch of deer going to food, you know, in by December. So um, maybe those deer are a little more nocturnal at the food source. And so maybe that's what helped us. But we also did find green grass there. So, mm-hmm. but I mean, definitely water was the limited resource is, and so he said it was a drought, but also like a lot of that country, I mean, in certain areas, in the area we were on, in that particular property, especially, uh, pretty dry overall, mm-hmm. not a whole lot of ponds or any, you know, stock tanks or whatever. So, but with good cover, so yeah. the deer kind of wanted to be there. Yeah, and they just had you know limited areas where they could get water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad you guys ended up getting one in Oklahoma. Thanks, man. But, I appreciate it. Man, I've been uh, it was so much fun seeing you lay down the big ones. So we were like, man, shoot. I'm trying, I'm trying to go replicate what you guys have done in Kansas. I mean, we've had some good luck on, on public in Oklahoma, but I kind of want to get some diversity as far as hunting in different States. You know, that's, it's always cool to see people jump from state to state and still have success. And I think that really says a lot about someone's ability to, you know, be a a good whitetail hunter. That's why we go up, you know, North to South Dakota and Nebraska because Illinois, Illinois stuff, you know, like all these places that kind of give you good opportunity that you don't even have to draw, you know, like that's Mm -hmm. what's cool. Yeah. I mean, like you're talking about Oklahoma, Illinois is expensive, but over the counter, giant bucks, you know, South Dakota. Yeah. Giants. Yeah. Yeah. It's a draw. Yeah. You think about some of the, some of the shows over the last 30 years and the ones that have like the TV shows that have hunted Illinois. I mean, and just look at their record books. Illinois is Mm -hmm. like, as good as it gets oh man. it is it's yeah. the so, best man I mean, we didn't hunt there this year but i i plan on going back next i mean year. pretty much set on hunting illinois this yeah. year but yeah. like you take a state like nebraska or south dakota one of the cool things about those states is that there's so many deer mm-hmm. that you get to put yourself in, like around deer a lot and the best way to become a good hunter is to have a lot of encounters and sometimes those those uh are inverse functions to an extent you know because <laughs> You start hunting some East Texas public, and uh, man, it's real hard to become a good hunter because you don't get to right. any deer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, but you you know, go to the one of these states where there's a lot of deer and stuff. It helps you, you know, just kind of hone your instincts and sharpen your skills. 
Yeah, so I, I, I'm thinking about the listener as we're doing this podcast, and I want to give them something tangible to, to walk away with. And I thought, who's, who's better to talk about planning an out-of-state whitetail hunt than you guys? I know a lot of, you're having a lot of success doing it. So kind of walk me through that that process of where do you guys start when you're seeing a brand new state on the map and you're like, we're, we're going to go hunt here this year. How do you guys start doing that? Hmm. Um, been doing that a lot of that here lately. Yeah. yeah. Are you, so are you saying like what makes us decide on a particular state or once we've decided the state, how do we get going? Once you've decided a state, how do you get going? Mm-hmm. Cause I think for a lot of the people that are listening, it's going to be a proximity thing, right? They're not going to pick their yeah. dream state. They're going to see a border state and say, Hey, I want to hunt. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to Arkansas this year. How do you, mm-hmm. how, how would you go about that? Man, it's, it's definitely regionally dependent too, yeah, yeah. because like you take Arkansas, for instance, uh, rut dates come into play and you have to start thinking about when, where, and what are the rut, um, you know, situations there because some of the States traditional Midwest rut, some of the state you can hunt deer in late December in the rut. And then you look at, but really more often than not, what I'm looking at are, uh, um, like a broad view of the state and the amount of public land within the state. Um, assuming that's what you're going to go do. You know, if you're a guy who's, um, got a good job and you got a lot of money, maybe not a lot, but you, you, you know, are conservative with your spending and you want to go to a different state and kill a deer. I mean, going outfitted is not a bad option. I've never done it, but it's a good way to go have a really fun hunt and make sure you got warm meals at night. (laughs) But, uh, you know, with that being said, looking at public access is probably the number one thing that I think about. Yeah. Um, and the different varieties of that, whether they have some type of hunter access program or uh, state land, you know, WMAs, and then also national forest. And then uh, you kind of start picking it apart from there. Um, one of the things that I kind of think about right off the bat, and maybe it's a fault of a, a fault of mine, but if I see a giant chunk of land, I'm usually like, uh, I'm not going to go there uh, because that's we've learned that more often than not, when guys are thinking about out of state, they're like, okay, if I go to this giant place, I have acres and acres and acres to go to, you know, Mm -hmm. I'd rather find a spot that maybe is around a rural hub, you know, like a town that has a couple gas stations, a couple places to eat, maybe a cheap motel, uh, which is actually pretty imperative if you're hunting in a colder state, you know, a fifty dollar motel is way better than nine a ten. You know, right? <laughs> like, no, I like, agree. I, I learned that in Nebraska this year. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's terrible. And then you we too. Yeah. Oh, we dang near got in a tornado in Nebraska <laughs> this year. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. Yeah. It was bad, man. But you look at that and find you a spot that um, has maybe ten or fifteen different types of access within an hour, hour and a half. You know, that's probably a high number, but just. 10, you know, say seven really good spots that you feel good about. I like that a whole lot better than driving to like, oh, this national forest is 1 million acres, you know, or yeah. whatever that is. Another thing we do um, also, I mean, you'd be surprised. Like what he's saying is we are looking on the aerial from a very high view a lot of times mm-hmm. starting out. And so mm-hmm. you'd, you'd be surprised at how high we're actually looking um, or how, you know, high up the camera is from the earth on those <laughs> aerials. So, yeah. Um, but I, th- I think another thing that we look at, like for instance, um, in Arkansas this year, uh, I kind of knew that I was probably going to, going to go up there and we started looking at some of the stuff in the region that I wanted to hunt. And, um, you run into like, for instance, take Louisiana, same, same type of deal, uh, to an extent, maybe even more, um, this way, but like in Louisiana, you're going to find a lot of flat, flat country, 
you know, like tons of flat country. So, um, and just like, you know, big wood swamp type stuff. So like, how do you hunt that? I don't know. It's a very tough thing to do, especially if you're talking about like getting ahead of the game before you even end up with boots on the ground there. So, you know, one way to help yourself scout on the aerial is to find something with some elevation or, you know, something with more crop fields because it breaks up the habitat and gives you edge and stuff like that. So like, that's one thing that we'll see as well. If we're looking in an area where there's tons of just kind of flat big wood or something like that, big woods, or like if we're in a plain state like Nebraska and we're looking at things that are relatively flat uh, plains type stuff, you know, finding crops for edge or finding uh, elevation uh, can really help you to um, kind of uh, predict deer movement a little bit. And also just uh, it offers something to the deer. It's different than anything else in that region. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. absolutely. I think that's a huge thing is, uh, I mean, you go back to the kill we had in Oklahoma. We've It took us a while, but we found a limited resource, right? And it's a great way to look at um, planning your hunt, wherever, what state you go to, you think about what's the most limited resource, at least in this echo region. You know, like you take Illinois, for instance, Southern Illinois is a lot different than Northern Illinois, Texas mm-hmm. the same way, you know, South Texas is just a different country than, you know, where we live up North. Um, yeah. Good in its own way. Um, but uh, so for instance, um, let's take Illinois. We'll just talk about it. For example, um, you know, up North, your limited resource literally could be timber. Because it's there's so much ag up there, it's pretty flat, right? And there's so so much agriculture up there that just cover in in especially as the year pushes on is a huge limited resource. Yeah. You know, once they take the corn out, it cuts the cover down to hardly anything. Up yeah, there, it could know? be a type of crop too. Yeah, you know, like uh, alfalfa in some states where they're beans. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, yeah, or if they take the corn out, uh, winter wheat is still going to be around, you know. So like mm-hmm. thinking about like those limited resources like that, or mm-hmm. bedding in in like Big Woods country, not all of that is thick. A lot of it's not, you know, because mm-hmm. the understory is gone because the trees are so high. So like bedding, just but there's there's something there to be, you know. There was actually a guy reached out to us on on uh, in the messages on Instagram one time that talked about that and and. I don't know that it wasn't that we that we or that it, we didn't like think about that. It was something that we thought about. But we had never really verbalized that limited resource thing, you know, mm-hmm. and that, I thought it was such a great point that he was talking about is because we asked him, you know, how'd you kill that buck or whatever? He sent us a picture. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. And he yeah. was like, man, bedding in a hardwoods habitat, you know, finding something that's thick. So I, from that point, like we really have talked about it a lot more as being something that really makes a lot of sense. I mean, like we told you, I don't know if we said this on or off the podcast, but we're not like experts at this, you know, we just try to take what, I mean, when something like that logically makes sense, like you take it and you run with it and you Mm -hmm. try to make it, you know, make sense for you. If it does make sense for you, then it can play into your game plan and your style of hunting and everything. I'll tell you one thing, man, something I've learned, especially this season is that, uh, being an expert doesn't kill you for a whole lot of deer. Learning fast yeah. kills you a lot yeah, of deer. Sure. If you can be a fast learner, that's what kills you deer. If it takes you three years to catch on to something the deer are doing, well, you it takes you three years to kill that deer. Yeah. If it takes you three days to catch on to it, man, you're killing a deer and you can go to your next state. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a huge thing. And and you, it's hard to train yourself to be an expert at something. like it. I mean, right. I don't know if I'm an expert of anything and i've i've done a lot of stuff in my life right <laughs> i'm definitely not an expert at being a husband or a dad you know that's what right. i try the hardest at but like you can train yourself to be a fast learner 
Uh, I can't really give you the training document for that or how to tell you how to do it. But, you know, I've got an idea. <clears throat> What's your idea? So, you know, one thing we do a lot to help us learn quickly when we're on the road is drive a lot mm -hmm. usually. So I love like, it's my favorite it, thing. It's uh, I love to drive around and look it at is, stuff. <laughs> it is fun. But when you when you think about like where is home base, because you have to have a home base to an extent mm -hmm. somewhere that you have your stuff and, you know, can sleep at night and and in a lot of situations for us, it's the truck and which gets so difficult when you're videoing and stuff too, man. Like, and you've got a camera guy or whatever too. It's like, golly, there's just not enough room in this truck for us to have the gear explosion that we need. Once we get here where bows come out and they're ready to, you're ready to hop out and run and chase and cameras are there and batteries and chargers and all this stuff. And then also to have like a sleeping situation that's fairly easy to, to uh, put out at night that uh, also doesn't get extremely dusty in the bed of your truck, you know, running up and down yeah. roads. So it's just such a, it's a hard dynamic to manage when you're traveling that much. But if, you know, like Casey said, if you can find a lot of properties in an area that you like, um, sometimes you can base out of a hotel and just say, okay, well, whatever, if I got to get up, you know, 45 minutes early because I need to get to a, a parcel that's 45 minutes away, then so be it. You know, I'll just do that, but I'll get a good night's sleep in a bed. But we have done the just sleep in the truck wherever you end up at night. And that is that is a rough life. Yeah. But if yeah, if you really want to, I mean, it's all, you know, not everybody, everybody can say they want to be a you know, NFL athlete or whatever. But most people didn't actually put in the effort to get to that point that it took. And there's also genetics stuff that plays into that. <laughs> right. But like there is an effort as well. There's I mean, there was plenty of guys like on my high school team that could have been college athletes that weren't and they can say they would have liked to have been but they didn't put in the effort so i'm not saying that you're terrible if you don't put in the effort to kill a big buck i'm just saying actually i'm saying you're pretty smart because you're going to be youthful for a long time that's right so or it goes back to the outfit thing you know like maybe if you're the kind of guy who doesn't have the time for the effort yeah you might be the kind of guy who has the time to accumulate some funds and yeah. go let effort. just make for your you. best decision when it comes to all that and like what you <laughs> Just make sure you're having fun, I think, more than anything. And if, if killing a big buck is the end game for you and that's the funnest part of it, then then you know, sleep out of your truck or whatever. And if it's if it's yeah. not that, uh, if it's just having a good time on a hunting trip, then you probably should get a hotel, you know. Yeah, we've done the sleeping the sleeping out of your truck thing and it's not fun. We did that this a couple weekends ago. That's that it's not my Ooh. cup of tea. Um, you guys talked uh about learning quickly. What what a level does mobility being mobile not being dead set on one spot play in your strategy because we've seen it happen this last year when we hunting public we've done the we've had one guy jump around different spot every sit till you see something and then we've had another guy say well i've got all these trail cam pictures here i'm gonna sit it out until it happens which wh which one of those do you usually do man we have talked about this a lot yeah because we year. are the guys who jump around almost every set unless we have like mm -hmm. something really good happen and we also have friends who are stone cold killers who sit the same <laughs> tree until they kill a deer. Yeah. He'll my, this friend that we're probably thinking about yeah. it, the same guy, he's uh he will straight up tell you when the wind blows the direction you don't expect it to come from, just turn and face into it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's like, that's dedication to the spot, you know? Yeah. But, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, I think for us uh, there's some things like, business wise as well that fit into um us moving around and being very mobile uh, it helps us to be able to relate and to people that may have questions for us or whatever mm -hmm. so we can answer questions a little bit better 
uh, if we do that, because uh, we're, we're learning, we may not be always killing deer the most efficiently that way, but we're learning uh, and seeing a lot of different things. So we have a lot of different experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to kill deer, I'm not sure that you're not better off. Like if you can assess a, what habitat and everything looks like that deer, big deer use, if you can do that, if you're on that level of a hunter, that's not like, I mean, you can learn that fairly quick as a hunter, I think. Um, and you can figure out a good place to ambush them sitting in a saddle or whatever tree stand in that location is probably one of the best ways to do it. Yeah. And then, but at the same time, I think back to my early December hunt, um, we jumped around in the mornings a lot and then kind of had this, you know, bed to feed pattern we're trying to hit, um, in the evenings and I hunted the same place three days in a row because it looked so good. And every day was a worse hunt until the third night where we saw one spike and that was it, <clears throat> you know? So like um, you can definitely burn a place out and that's a real thing. And I think that if you're going to have one of those places that you sit continuously, it needs to either be the rut and you have the chance of new deer every day, mm-hmm. or it mm-hmm. needs to just be, you know, bulletproof. Yeah. Dead damn bulletproof, man. Like just something that, you know that the wind is good for you. It's blowing up over just, you know, a place where no deer are all the time and you can have clean access. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, it's just situational as to which one works better. Yeah. I killed a big deer in 2015 that way. I, hunt, I set five days straight for him, I think mm-hmm. it was. And he came through on the fifth day with does. And, and like it wasn't, um, my exit was not bulletproof, but my entry was pretty bulletproof. Um and while I sat there until doe, until does were feeding, um, I really was bulletproof then too. So it was, I mean, it wasn't far from the road either. That's one thing to think about as, as well mm-hmm. on your access is like, if you're close to residential or roads or stuff like that, that can really help you out. Of course, a lot of times big bucks don't live in those situations, yeah. but a lot of times they do too. So well, that's part of the problem with that spot I was talking about in late or early December is it was like 1300 yards from the road. So you walk through the majority of the property to get there Mm -hmm. and you don't know what's bumping a quarter mile in front of you that you never see that's messing the whole thing up. So I think I was dealing with that a lot, but you know, kind of on the contrary, you killed your Nebraska buck this year on the first sit in, Mm -hmm. you know, after never even sitting, you know, never putting eyes on the property, you know, it's just good map scouting and putting a plan together. Another thing, not to just talk all over your podcast and not let you ask us questions. (laughs) You're good. You're good. You know how it is. Podcasters get together and we can just talk. You know what I mean? All day long. (laughs) (laughs) But um, having a friend with you who is competent and you like trust in their abilities to bounce these ideas off, that is the thing that kills Tyler and I deer. Like absolutely is the thing that kills us deer. Is the (laughs) just funny way of saying that. What? (laughs) Yeah, kills Tyler and I deer. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That was a, it's one of those things where like until you say deer, it's a, yeah, you're talking about right. horses going. Well, it's a good sentence because it leaves you on the cliff. That's right. I like end, it. Right? I like it. But um, that's how it was in Nebraska. You know, that was the thing is we were just we just took this wash rag of deer hunting for five days straight and just wrung it as tight as we could, the two of us. And finally, we got a drop out of it on the fifth day or whatever it was, you know, and because we both were just working hard at at coming up with a way to actually find one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Uh, moving back just a little bit, what role do trail cams um, play in your scouting once you're actually boots on the ground and you've looked at a property? And can you maybe talk about a little bit of the pitfalls that people get from 
buying too much into the data that a trail cam can give you? Hmm. Man, those are good questions, bro. <laughs> um, I'm just asking for myself. I just I want to oh, get your perspective on it. Yeah, they're great, dude. This is I mean, I, these are good questions. Um, so we use trail cameras a lot. Um, but it depends like the property is, uh, or the, whether we place a camera or not on a property is dependent upon the nature of the property and the hunting spot on that property. So a lot of times, um, if, uh, in Casey's, uh, spot that he was talking about just a second ago, where he was going three quarters of a mile into the property, we went in there. I went in to film him on that last trip. The first afternoon we went up in there, they had, had some pretty good hunts. The spot looks killer. It's, I mean, as good of a spot as you'd want to see on the map up there. And there's definitely deer around. Um, and they had a trail camera in there. And we um, we decided not to rehang the trail camera after we pulled it down that evening and we checked it. Um, because, one, it was three quarters of a mile in there. So it's not something we can just pull real quick. And um, if you're going to do that, like, so we're in December at that point. So we don't want to, you know, we're late December. We're not coming back to this, you know this place this year and maybe on this hunt one time or something like that but we didn't know for sure so we didn't we didn't hang it but like i mean we were ready and willing to hop out and run 50 yards or 100 yards into a property and hang something on a crossing to learn something mm -hmm. we're not going to kill a deer based off that camera most of the time because that's going to be night um you know pictures but what it does is it lets you know this is where they're coming through an hour after dark or whatever. So let's start backtracking. You can use cameras to backtrack or you can, you know, get in there and scout or whatever and learn stuff for next year. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, that's really like a lot of our cameras are, are played that way. We actually in 17 or 18, one summer, we went nuts with trail cameras. Oh, we were putting them back everywhere we could. We were trying to learn as much as we could, but we were also just putting them deep, man, and working all summer and stuff. And I think one thing that taught us was that um, we, you know, for one, didn't need to work that hard in the summer, I don't think. And yeah. for another, that we didn't need to, uh, this this has kind of been learned through that, but also other instances, is that we could figure stuff out. I guess the, the more the better we get at understanding properties in certain areas, especially, the better or the more we understand that we can hang a camera in a place where a deer would come through in the dark and figure out where he is in the daylight, mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of people kind of struggle with that. So if you can't do that, you may need to burn, burn some shoe rubber and get up in there and, and try to find a deer in the daytime to help you understand what, what he's doing during shooting hours. Yeah. I think that's one of the pitfalls that people really end up with. I've seen it in friends and just, I'm not the kind of guy to tell somebody their strategy doesn't work good. They just are going to have to learn that because that's not a nice thing to say. Right. But you see, right. you have a friend who might be posting trail cam pictures on the, you know, Facebook or whatever. And he's got his, you know, target book there at 2 a.m. And it's like, man, <clears throat> I've threatened so many times in my life to just set my cameras to not, not take night pictures. But the only thing that keeps me from it is that I want the inventory to know the deer's still alive or whatever. Right. <laughs> but I really think about night pictures as just not, like the deer don't even, doesn't even hardly count. It's definitely not in the same realm as a day, daytime picture, you know. But like Tyler was saying, you can learn a lot from a night picture mm -hmm. and know you're not in the right spot pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, for us, cell cameras have really changed the game when it comes to this out-of-state camera stuff. Like if we're on a five, six-day trip where used to, we like the only cameras we would hang would be ones that were real close to the road that we're trying to learn something about 
you know, access or about, you know, what deer are in the area and are using, you know, from their map scouting ability to, to backtrack where now we can go hang a camera on, you know, an adventure, I don't know what you'd call it, like a first time in type sit. We hang a camera there and, uh, you know, we're getting photos every 12 hours of what's going on in that area. And it's like, okay, well, this thing's definitely, it's worth going back in there for, to where you just can't do that with a regular camera because you're going to blow it out. I mean, every intrusion is an intrusion. It, it, it yeah. doesn't matter if the wind was good, if it's midday, whatever. Like, you might as well, and you almost might as well just hunt. If you're going to go in there and pull a card, you might as well hunt while you're in there. It's kind of the way I, I look at it. And cell cams have just made that a lot different. Yeah, you got to be careful when you travel, I'd say, <clears throat> as a, yeah. just a tip that not every uh, state likes cell cams. And so, like, in Colorado this year, um, I hunted deer there and I had, I had a, I put a cell cam out, uh, on the first trip and the second trip, the first day I had to pick it up because you're not supposed to be hunting. I don't know. It's we it's worded weird, you know, like a, a good lawyer probably get around it, but, uh, it's something like you couldn't, you can't hunt while your cell camera is taking pictures or deployed or whatever. So, yeah, um, it's, it's kind of interesting. I wouldn't cool. even hunt that property, you know, but like, I needed to go pick it up so that um, there wasn't a way that I could get in trouble. You yeah. Know, I guess. They also, don't say deer in that wording, I don't think. So <laughs> technically, if you went out there and tried to shoot a quail or something, <laughs> they could, you know, if they Bust wanted you. to, they could write you a ticket and then you yeah. have to go fight. Right. Yeah, it's so one weird. of those stupid things. Other states are kind of weird about just trail cameras in general, like depending on, I mean, it might be WMA specific too. So you got to kind of keep up with that stuff when you're, you know, heading out of state, just what you can and can't do on some properties. Like, I don't think that uh, state lands in Missouri doesn't allow, they don't allow you to use uh, trail cameras or video your hunts on that stuff. I think that's the case. Don't, that's don't trust me. Yeah, I know. It's like, come on, guys. You're making this kind of hard on us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, I think one thing that we tried this summer, and this was kind of one of the pitfalls for us, was we cast a really wide net on this piece of public we were looking at in Oklahoma. So we were running 21 cameras, and we thought that would be the way to find that 170 plus inch deer. Mm -hmm. What it ended up being was just a way to walk 12 to 15 miles in the summer to check all these stupid trail cameras, and you're seeing <laughs> 10 pictures on one. You want to chunk it into the onto the private once you find one that doesn't have a photo. That's one of the big uh -huh. issues that we had this summer. Oh, I believe it, man. I've been there, done that, and uh, probably did some of it this year myself. Uh, we did for sure yeah. on a couple places. Because, um, I mean, you just can't have 21 cell cameras. It's too expensive. It's just how it is, you know? Those data but, plans. Uh, oh, yeah, it's wild, man. But, um, yeah, it's a good way to stay in shape for sure. But did y'all find some big bucks, though? Like, did it end up being worth it? Um, yeah. I mean, we're kind of spoiled on this particular piece of public where, you know, there's my buddy shot 162 inch deer off this piece of public and so we're like man if we can find one of those with eight cameras we got to be able to find a 200 with 20 cameras <laughs> it, it did not work that way i mean we had yeah. a lot of you know pulp and young class bucks which is what we look for on public land i'm trying to shoot a buck 125 or better you know every year but yeah uh no it the fruit was not there for the labor and mm -hmm. uh so what we did was after we cast that wide net we're like listen this is super inefficient we need to find four or five core areas on this place and put four or five cameras a piece in those areas. And that'll give us more yeah. specific data into where the deer are actually bedding, where they're actually coming from during the day. Because when you cast that wide net, you know, 
you're not getting a lot of specific data. You're just getting one data point at 20 different spots. And I didn't mm -hmm. think that was super valuable to us yeah. actually in the like, running season. I like that strategy a lot, man. I think that um, when you go out of state, you can kind of high grade, you know, skim the cream off the top and just be like, all right, just from map scouting, I can tell that on this property, there's three area areas that are going to be bad to the bone. And then you go mm -hmm. in there, hang some cameras. Maybe all three of them have dudes on them, whatever. But you have a couple yeah. other WMAs, and sooner or later, you're going to find one that's like, okay, this spot's really good. There's nobody here, you know? And with that, it's a pretty good strategy. Yeah, no, I definitely like it. I mean, so when you guys are doing the, the out-of-state hunts, are you guys waiting for ideal conditions uh, to hunt? You know, are you hunting hot October days on some of these places? Or are you saying, hey, I'm actually going to stick around home for a little bit longer and actually go on these days because I think it's going to be more fruitful. Because I think it's something that people really need to consider if they're going to spend a week off um, yeah. of their job and only get two weeks off. You really need to think about that ideal time frame. What do you guys do from your perspective? It's kind of hunt dependent. Like yeah. uh, we go hunt openers in a couple states, you know, September, October stuff. So we just usually kind of schedule that out. You know, we're family men, so we kind of have to put some stuff on the calendar uh, somewhat when it comes to that kind of deal. Um and I'm also probably going to hunt the first two weeks of November, no matter what, you know, if it's 70 or 40, like the deer is still going to do some deer stuff. Right. Um, I mean, you had a really weather dependent hunt two years ago that you just did an extraction on in Illinois. Yeah, that's you know? right. Um, yeah. I mean, it does, it depends. Like it, de it depends on the state and everything else, you know, um, and kind of where we're at in the season, but in Illinois, it was late October and, I knew that I wasn't going to go anywhere till the end of October. Like the very last day was when I was kind of going to start, you know, my rut uh, trip or whatever. So um, I knew that if a cold front popped up within the window of like the 20th to the 30th, well, closer to the 20th, not necessarily all the way to the 30th because I knew I had to go somewhere, but you know, like leave me <laughs> some days in the, in the 20th to the 27th or whatever. And I was going to try to jump up there on a cold front because of several reasons, but, uh, for one, it's late October. So, um, that cold front just kicks a little bit of rut drive into the deer, I think. Um, also those deer, heavy, heavy deer. So they need some cold weather to make them want to get up, you know, period on, you know, in the daylight. Um, and then also the time of year, uh, being that it was coming into November, you know, that the pre-rut, uh, activity is going to start, uh, I really would have liked to have a cell camera, not that it would have helped me necessarily kill a deer any more dead than he was already dead, you know? <laughs> but like it, it would have been nice to know, uh, like thinking back, I would have had a really good idea that, Oh, there's new bucks showing up. Cause they were, they were showing up. I just didn't know it. Um, and the buck I actually killed was killed or was, uh, showed up like a week before I killed him, but it was, it was nocturnal stuff day or, you know, dark pictures or whatever. So, um, anyway, also what played into it is that i knew that i would get a north uh west wind on a cold front and that's like the ideal wind for that mm -hmm. for that location so that's another thing like if you're if you're looking at spots that don't hunt good on north winds then you might just want to hunt uh, first south after a couple of norths or something like that you know so um you know that, that would be a high pressure day probably pretty still um, and you may get some east in it as well, but your you know, deer are going to be moving. So something to think about as well. Um, but then like this year, you know, it's still, we want to, we always, we are definitely privileged to do, um, as much hunting as we do, but like, 
at the same time, I also want to definitely show that like sometimes we just get into situations if we're hunting a bunch that are not ideal. And in Arkansas this year, I went up there and I mean, that was literally my like wrap up interview was like, this is, and I don't, it, it won't even make the lie today. I don't think because there wasn't hardly any footage of deer the whole time we were up there. But, um, you know, I was like, man, this is, this is what happens when a guy has to plan his vacation out, you know, way in advance and, and bad weather happens. Cause yeah. if that, if that happens and it's just the way it is, man, and you just deal with it and you don't shoot a deer that year. And I hate that for people. Uh, but that's the, the job description for some people is that they have, you know, they have to be there and plan their schedules way out. So, you know, hot weather just ate me up and it was supposed to be prime rut up there. And, uh, from what I understand usually is on those dates, but it was seventies and eighties, you know, and, uh, just wasn't seeing a whole lot of movement. So it can make it tough, man. But yeah, I mean, if you have flexibility, uh, you know, I like cold fronts year round for sure. Yeah. Well, we, I, I tend to err on the side of flexibility, but it kind of bit me in the butt once this year where I, so the previous Christmas I had bought my dad and my brother an outfitted deer hunt, um, in Oklahoma on a, on a hunt, an outfit that I had went on and actually shot a buck on before. And my dad's sending me trail cam pics and messages all year, just super excited. There's, there's like two booners that are showing up in mm. like the, in the, the, the week of the rut, um, late November and our hunts for December, first through fifth and we get there and it's it's 80 degrees the entire week and i'm like this see this this is one of the issues with an outfit hunt too was uh yeah. you can't plan in that but had this been a, a little bit different hunt where we're going on a piece of public or something we could have that flexibility to shift it a week or two so that, i think that's just another consideration it just makes it a little tough when you have to put it on the calendar yeah yeah was that this year that was this year yeah yeah i was that's when my, my arkansas hunt was right then too and it was the same weather man it was 80 degrees you know it was yeah, terrible so. i had one i had one spot i hunted i hunted probably like probably hunted like seven or eight nine different locations and i had one spot that i saw deer twice and i saw like nine deer one evening and mm-hmm. i mean all within like bow range you know pretty much and uh then i saw a buck the next morning there and tried something new and then just like it was ridiculous man <laughs> it was it was the toughest hunting i've had yeah for sure. I mean, what are you guys doing as far as I know you talked a little bit about it, like sleeping in the truck. Sometimes we've done that sucks, especially during the summer or hot October. But what are some practical tips as far as like camping setups for people that are going to do over the counter hunts? Um, I saw you guys rocking the tent in a couple one of your earlier videos. I think it was your South Dakota videos. Yeah. Uh, the setup looked a little rough, but I mean, <laughs> what what do you guys usually do? Make it work. Uh, so having a truck bed long enough sleeping is nice you know some truck beds are a little bit too short uh it's not yeah tyler has a short bed um and uh i guess you might can do it crossways by yourself but i would barely fit i think yeah yeah but then eric would have to have be somewhere or me or somebody so it doesn't really work under the truck yeah that's right i actually (laughs) have slept under the truck before if you have a truck with a lift you can sleep underneath the vehicle can we do that in new mexico I did it with my parents one time. Oh, no, we just stored a bunch of stuff in the Gila under yeah, the truck. Yeah, under the truck. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so under the truck, the fog stays the, pretty dry. The, the dude, dude, yeah, off, all yeah. that stuff. Um, you know, if you can uh, find you a camper topper or something, it's kind of nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've uh, definitely slept in the tent thing quite a bit. I used to have this thing. I still have it. I haven't used it much because um, it's kind of like a backcountry hunt. It's, it, it's not near as hard in a physical sense, but sleeping in the truck on a whitetail trip is the same kind of thing. Whereas if 
everyone doesn't have the same amenities, you might as well not have it, right? It's kind of like right. if you're going to have like you're going to have a water access to a place that you're going to go hunt, but only one guy has waders, well, it doesn't do you any good, you know. If if you need like a camera guy and uh, you know hunter setup, whatever, you get what I'm saying. Like, um, I have a tent cot, which is really really cool. Uh, I think they're like 200 bucks or something like that. And it's like a tent and cot all in one weatherproof kind of thing folds up about the size of a card table, a little bit thicker than that. And, uh, um, they're real cool. They're really nice. That and, sounds uh, neat. Yeah, it's real cool. I've used it in, in Colorado quite a bit, but if not everybody has a tent cot, then you might as well just sleep in a tent or whatever, you know, but it is really neat because you can take that thing out and you just fold it out, pop it up. And within, 10 minutes, I mean, not 10 minutes, like 30 seconds, you've got, you know, your little setup. But it's the same feeling as a tent where, like, you can't make breakfast in there. You always still have to rip the Band-Aid off and step your feet out whenever it's real cold, you know, when you're not ready. Um, I still haven't found a good solution for that, except uh, the push-button starts on the truck is real nice if it's real cold and you're in the <laughs> yeah, tent. Yeah, nice. Run and get in the truck and just deal with it, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. We use uh, I use air mattresses. Uh, as much as I can. So that's another thing I would uh, kind of say is, you know, the the uh, sleeping pads, they're cool when you're hunting elk in the backcountry or whatever. Mm-hmm. But man, just for me, I'm a I'm about a 205. So and I feel like there's lots of dudes out there that are plenty heavier than me. And if I'm bottoming out with even like some really padded sleeping pads, um, that blow up really thick. I would imagine most dudes would too. So the air mattress is kind of the thing that I like to do. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that I've noticed this year is that if you overfill your air mattress, that can cause problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on a lot of different factors, but if you're in a multi-night camping deal, you can kind of keep uh, tabs on like what the cold weather does to your air mattresses or your air mattress, because it, it'll end up, uh, you know, you'll run out of air to an extent, you know, a little bit during the cold uh, it'll deflate your air mattress. Uh, but you don't want it to be like, I don't think you want to be real firm because you end up kind of rolling off. And for me, like it makes my, it kind of arches my back up and makes me feel like my head is like hanging down. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. if I'm sleeping on my back, so I don't know, just kind of a tip there, I guess. Another tip on uh sleeping pads. If you're a sleeping pad guy, uh, this is something I had to work on and I've trained myself in the off season like I'll be at home and I'll make myself sleep on my back. And sooner or later you get to where you can sleep on your back. And those things are so much more comfortable because you're spreading out your weight yeah. and you don't have these pressure points of hip and shoulder. I don't have any hips. My shoulder really is kind of my problem, <laughs> you know, but if you're sleeping on your back, it, you just get a lot more cushioning out of that. And it's just, uh, just all around better for that situation. If you're like our cameraman, then you just sleep on the ground. Yeah. I think by the end of the season, he figured out that wasn't the best. Thing. You can <laughs> yeah. do it for a couple nights, you know, but after a while, you're like, oh, okay, we're going to do this for uh, 40 nights this year. We Maybe slept, I shouldn't sleep on the ground. We slept like a week in South Dakota, and he slept on the, on a comforter, like a small comforter the, the whole trip. And I was like, dude, I have an air mattress in there, and I've got sleeping pads. Like, I bring it all, you know, whatever I got. I was like, I got stuff, man. He's like, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm like, dude. <laughs> I don't understand. He played football too. He should yeah. have some injuries. Bro. I know, man. I know it. Man, he's a quarterback. He That's right. That's it. That's right. <laughs> we had this buddy named Tom, and he slept like I don't know if you guys used to watch WWE, but you know the Undertaker in his coffin. Yeah, he, he slept just like that, just flat on his back, no mattress pad, no nothing. We're like, dude, we got an extra cot, we got an air mattress. He's like, no, I'm good, man. And he's the first one up in the morning. I just asked because 
I think this is something that's underrated as far as like public land traveling, camping setups. Like if I don't get good sleep, my morale goes down immediately. And you kind of see it as a group. Like if nobody's getting good sleep, it's like, Hey, I actually, I actually could go to this thing with my wife. I need to go to this weekend. Can we leave a few (laughs) days early? And you're like, and you're like, you know what? That does sound good. Let's, let's start packing up. And so I just ask, I mean, I think it matters a lot. Absolutely. We had the problem in Nebraska. You go hunt September one. There's actually only like five hours of sleep. You can technically get if you want to get up in the morning and go hunt. So because of just the length of the day. So like I'm a six hour night plus guy anyway. So by the end, you know, by day five, that's tough as is. But if those five hours aren't good, boy, you're struggling. I am. I'm struggling for sure, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's 90 degrees in the afternoon. You can't take a nap. So you're struggling to try to find deer. And find, In fact, the day that you killed, we stayed in the motel that night before that and got a good night's sleep and went in and killed that evening, partially because, I don't know how much, you know, percentage-wise, but partially because we were thinking clearly because we had a good night's sleep the night before. I can tell you. If I wasn't able to get a shower after packing that deer out, oh man, I don't know what I would have done. I, <laughs> there's a chance that I would have been out there at midnight in a lake somewhere just trying to get because it was nasty, man. Did we not do that? I thought no, that we night, did. I thought, we got a shower. I'm just saying, if I wouldn't have been able to, no, I'm saying I thought that night the it was full by the time we got out of there and we couldn't get one, or did we get one? No, we got okay, yeah, we we pulled some stuff in there and got a <laughs> that's right. I remember now. Yeah, she yeah. actually had a room open up. We got yes, yeah. that was it. <laughs> we, we got lucky for sure. But, yeah. Well, I feel like you start to make different decisions if you don't, like you're saying, if you don't have good sleep, like, you know, you're, you're sitting and looking at the maps with your buddy and you're like, hey, you've been sitting here three sets. You haven't seen any deer. You need to move over here. Remember this, all this camera, all these, all these pictures we got over here. And he's like, no, I'm going to go back in there. I don't want to move my stuff. You know, I don't want to get set up again. And it's just like, you don't make the same decisions that you do on a sound mind. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing, man. That's, that's, that is a real thing. What you're talking about is like the whole, oh, I don't want to move my stuff or whatever, you know, I have to go find another tree and everything. I mean, that's, that is definitely something that happens. And KC and I have been very conscious to head that off when it starts rearing its head, because mm-hmm. uh, it is a, it's the best way to not kill a deer. It's yeah. to just think, Oh man, I'm tired. You know, it's like, yeah, that's what this is. So if, if yeah. you don't want to be tired, you know, go go hang out at a hunt lodge, and that's and that's fine. I like I've done it, man. I love it. I wish that I could do it more often. <laughs> it's kind of expensive, you know. Yeah. You pay for the lodge, right. you pay for the food, you pay for the guy to take you out, and for his ex- expertise or experience or whatever, you know. And that's fine if you want to do that. I got. I mean, I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm just saying this is a hard thing, and if you if you if it gets hard on you and you don't like it but you like hunting, then don't ruin hunting just because you're doing something hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go have fun. Yeah. You know, I, I like to <laughs> say that confidence kills is the thing that I think about a lot. And then kind of the inverse is that is complacency does not kill. And that's what you're talking about. Like um, you go into a place and it's the second hunt and uh, you know, you just see a couple does um, and your stuff's already set up there. It's a long walk out. It sure is easy to be like, well, maybe tomorrow that buck's going to follow those does in. And really, instead, you you could, and it's, that might be the right move. But in but December, that ain't the right that, move. In December, you it's not I mean? the right move. Yeah, exactly. You know, it depends on the time of year. In December, you need to hustle. I need to go find you a new spot. Yeah. And December's hard to hustle because you know why? I've been hustling since September. So, right. <laughs> yeah, you have to be conscious of these things, right? And, yeah. and have a buddy who – maybe in your time of waning is not, you know, he's, he's 
clear of mind. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. So I, I think I would be remiss if I didn't talk a little bit about the saddle game. It's something that something that I got into this year, actually through the influence of one of my good buddies that I hunt with on public. And then you guys I got my first saddle this year, started hunting oh, out of the cruiser XC. Yeah. Uh, it's nice, isn't it? So I, I had heard all about the tethered. I'm my buddies that ran the tethered for years. And he's like, you need to get a saddle. He's like, I just switched to cruiser. I heard you guys talk about it. I was like, I'm you know what? I'm going to order this. Went home, plopped about 600 bucks down and I'm never going back. I, mean, what, <laughs> I, I love cool. the saddle. Um, yeah. We're on it's our cool. last. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just, yeah. I was just, reiterating what you're saying man it's a it to be cliche it's a game changer change the game, <laughs> the game. Uh, that's the one word i didn't want to use when i was talking about saddles yeah. a game changer yeah <laughs> good i'm glad you're conscious of things like that man <laughs> yeah it's nothing like just sitting here sit, just spitting cliches back and forth for 45 minutes you know? oh, right. <laughs> it happens on plenty of podcasts <laughs> what's yeah. some of the benefits you guys have uh, reaped because of the saddle i mean I, I i know people talk about mobility for me it doesn't change a lot of weight it's a lot of packability. Um, mm -hmm. the, you know, my pack is smaller. I'm not mm -hmm. banging on my climbers, not catching on trees while I'm going through the woods. But what's what's some of the benefits from y'all's perspective? Um, dead deer, dead deer for sure. <laughs> more deer, dead deer. Are out of saddles. I promise you. You know, so it's it's hard to kind of be retrospective about that a little bit. Uh, for me, one of the things I think about is um, now I can walk up to any tree and say I can get in that tree if I need to. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I've hung in trees that are smaller than my wrists and I, my wrists are small for a full grown man. Like they have skinny, <laughs> right? They hurt sometimes. Um, so like no question, right? You can just get in about near any tree you want to. And if a tree is too hard to get into in a saddle, well, it would be hard to get shots out of that one anyways. And I think one of the other, um, things that I see, uh, is that I can make, shots work out of trees a lot better out of a saddle i've Tyler and i've talked about this a lot but when you're hunting out of a tree stand you're um like mobility is two-dimensional you can go up and down or left and right well in a saddle you can kind of lean down and around as long as you're kind of preserving that t you know of your shot you can kind of lean down or around the tree and you can just get a lot more shots out of a tree because of it yeah i shot a couple of deer because of that mm -hmm. ability as opposed to being able to stand or sit is kind of what you can do in a, in a tree stand, you know? But I mean, I think that for us, it is, it actually is a, a weight difference. Uh, it is the packability as well, but there's a good weight difference in what we use. Especially when we get those, uh, uh, cruisers came out with <coughs> a seeker mini or what, I don't know what he's going to call it. Um, Chad is way more about product than he is catchy names. So <laughs> he's uh, he just, you know, it's a smaller platform pretty much. And once we have that, I mean, yeah. I think it's less than three pounds. Right? I mean, I didn't, I didn't like, um, I didn't like carrying, I carried a muddy vantage pro or something like that. It's like a 13 pound tree stand. I carried that forever. Of course, that, there's a little extra weight with the bracket and the uh, big, huge ratchet strap because they mm -hmm. don't want people to sue them, you know, or whatever. But kind of kind of a lightweight uh, tree stand, I guess, somewhat. But like still, there were days when we would go in and we would I mean, there are, there are a lot of times you go in and you don't get like the first spot you go to. You're like, oh, this is not what I thought it was. This is bad. And you got to You're like, OK. Hop on the map and look. Oh, there are 300 yards over there. There's another spot that could work out. We'll just try to salvage this hunt. You get there and it's like, oh, this is 
you know, or there's some somebody's set their stuff, you know, it's apparent that somebody's been in here recently or whatever. So then you're like, okay, what about this? And you move over to a different spot. By the time you've done that, man, you've had this uh, tree stand on your bags, 13 pounds plus all your camera gear and everything else. And like your shoulders start hurting. I've seen it mess us up where I've, my shoulders were hurting. And I dropped stuff on the ground so that I could take a rest for a second. And the ground scent ended up messing me up, you mm-hmm. know, or, or us up. And so like, I think that the mobility factor, uh, with like the ease of mobility is very much a, a big deal. And Casey and I, you know, he was talking about how confidence kills earlier. I mean, we've gotten to the point where we expect, I mean, it's like every time we go in just about, we expect to kill a deer. Mm-hmm. Now there are times when I'm like, or at least to, you know, to have a good chance to kill a deer. Cause there are times when I'm like, dude, this is, this is it. And I, I mean, <laughs> there, I mean, I, I'm not trying to say anything about, you know, my abilities or anything here, uh, I work within my system and what I feel like works for me. Right. So it's different than anybody else's, but there have been times when, I mean, of course we like to call it a lot on video, but I've called it, you know, and, and there's just times that, you know, if you've been doing it a while, like in South Dakota in 2020, mm-hmm. I mean, we, I was like, dude, we're killing tonight. And we were, we were partying man before the, before <laughs> yeah. the hunt even. And we both shot bucks that night. You know, we just had learned enough that we knew, you know, we could get in there on this wind and do it right. Yeah. And so you get to that point, but like, um, uh, even on the times that you don't feel super confident, I expect to see deer. And if I don't, we move. Mm. And so being able to move quickly and not get into that drag that you're talking about, Christian, where you're like, you know, you or your buddy might be like, Oh, I don't want to move this thing again. You know, I'm up there hanging from one arm, putting a 13 pound stand on the tree with the other and then ratcheting with my teeth, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> brutal, man. So, yeah, and it's loud. And that's one yeah, thing you didn't really bring up is that, you got to climb the tree some way or another, and that's always going to have some noise involved. Um, but after that, pretty much putting a saddle in a tree is pretty quiet because mm-hmm. it's all soft stuff, you know. Um, and the platform's little. Yeah, platform's small, so you don't have to break a bunch of branches and stuff yeah. a lot of times to get it in there. And I think that um, since we've used saddles, there's a lot of factors into it, right? But we have killed more deer, and I think that some of that can be – related to the fact that we make less noise getting in a tree. Mm-hmm. I really, I really do believe that. Yeah. There's lots of little factors. It's mm-hmm. kind of like anything in deer hunting, really. Like if you can, if you put enough little factors together, things yeah. tend to go your way more often. It's not necessarily the big factors. We talk about this with scent control a lot. Cause we don't, we used to be a lot more on that than what we are now. Right. It's, but it's really about hunt the wind. But at the same time, if you're a guy who has the time and the ability to think about scent control, Maybe it's only a 1% difference in your ability to kill that deer, but you know, it's a, it's a scale. And if you can tip that scale with 1%, you killed him, you know? So if it's something you mm. feel like you can put effort into and it's worth it to you, then it, it, it can work out. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's really cool that when you get on top of the sticks, like if you're going to be hanging a, a hang on tree stand, you're going to have to get at those sticks regardless, but I'm just taking my my one strap, throwing it around the tree, camming my platform over. And my buddy was saying this last week when we were hunting. He was like, "Dude, you're in the tree in like four or five minutes. Like mm-hmm. you're all your once you get tethered in, you're in. Like I got to get up my, I got to get up. We got to hang my stand. You're hanging off the tree like a monkey trying to ratchet it and stuff. It's just, it's so more efficient. Like yeah. I can get in the tree so much quicker. I'm not sitting up there with my headlight shining trying to find the other end of my ratchet strap. You know, it's just." It's just efficiency in, in my mind. Yeah. That, like you're saying, that whole system coming together is what creates that efficiency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And pretty safe, too. You know, that's what very I, safe. 
once you get over the like idea that you're hanging by a rope, right? Because that's weird. <laughs> but yeah. once you get over that, like you're just pretty much safe in that thing because you're just strapped in. You know, it's like wearing the harness in the tree stand, but you just don't have the tree stand anymore. You know. So. Yeah, I think one of the things you were talking about really spoke to me when you talk talking about being able to shoot different angles and being able to almost to be able to pivot all the way around the tree. I actually saw this on the first deer that I shot out of the saddle was that buck I shot on public land um, this year. I was sitting down almost all my tether out and I'm sitting with my knees in my chest and mm -hmm. I'm drinking a Red Bull. It's 947. I'm fixing to get out of the tree. I'm like, I'm just going to sit here and enjoy this cold Red Bull. Cause I was running on two Red Bulls a morning at that point. But um, I, I, I'm looking and I'm sitting there, my knees in my chest and it, it's comfortable. And I just hear, Ch -ch -ch, and I look up and there's this buck walking to me. He's like 27 yards away. And I'm like, mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, I look up and my bow's like four foot above my head. My camera is <laughs> above my head. So I reach up, I just bump the camera where I think he's going to be. I grab my bow, feed it under my tether. And I made that shot pivoting with the tether over my shoulder with my knees in my chest. And I'm mm -hmm. sitting here thinking, this would never happen out of a yeah. tree stand. That deer oh, yeah. would have been gone. I'm sitting yeah. here hanging off a monkey from a rope on one side of the tree <laughs> making shots. And from then on, I was like, yeah, the saddle's for me. Yeah. I think that stuff, too, though, is important to kind of practice a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, your scenario you're talking about there is probably pretty hard to, like, say, oh, this is how I'm going to kill him. Right? <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. like, it is good to get up in the tree. And, you know, you can do this stuff midday during your hunting season or whatever. But um, all that variability also comes with, you know, new stuff, right? So one thing that we try to practice a lot, I haven't got to put it into play yet, but Tyler has, is uh, we call that the seatbelt. Whenever you turn around on your platform, maybe you're standing or whatever, but you've got that tether coming down across your chest and hooking into your bridge, and that's holding against your chest, and that's actually where your weight is. You know, it's kind of you're so you're like inverted. You killed uh, in Texas in 2020 that way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like I've done it one other time too but i can't remember where it would be but your kansas buck from that's 2020 right. that's right yeah yeah and so like i um i think i know the way when i practice it is is the opposite shoulder of the way we're both right handers mm -hmm. but he he likes it on his left when he practices it, and i like it on my right when i practice and mm -hmm. i can't even tell you if i did if that's the way i shot it whenever <laughs> i shot deer but that's the way like i haven't practiced it a ton right but like you know, you get up in a tree, like we were at a, you know, an expo this past week or whatever, week ago. And, uh, we were in the cruiser booth, you know, just hanging out. And of course I had to put one on, put a saddle on and just, you know, like you got really to, hang out. There's nothing <laughs> to do there, but like put a saddle on, you know? So I put a saddle <laughs> yeah. on, I hang from this big post in the booth or whatever. And I'm just doing all the different stuff. And of course I go to the right. Casey's like, you put yours on your right shoulder. I was like, yeah. Like, I, I kind of like mine on the left, you know, and that's, a, that's the thing is you got to kind of figure that out. Right. But mm -hmm. either way, you, I mean, as a right hander, you, you can, or a left hander, you can shoot yeah. on either shoulder technically. Yeah. What climbing method do you use? Um, I use sticks just yeah. or what, it, what, it, is that what you mean? Yeah. Like which ones or whatever. Oh, I use a, I use the out on a limb shakars. Oh man, those are sick. Yeah. yeah so just... Matt Garris is actually one of my good buddies. He was, when I was in college, we only lived like an hour apart. So, I kind of got to see him since the inception of all those products he's made and yeah, yeah. he's grown a ton, but I, I really like his stuff. Yeah. Do you leave, when you bring them in, do you make them flat? Like they, you know how the, I guess the, uh, the yeah, how, they, how they'll fold, how they'll fold yeah. up. Yeah, I do. Um, I think I'm going to end up switching to the fixed where they just kind of stay out in that fixed position. Um, yeah. 
you can tighten them up, but in, in my mind, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to take out any point of movement or noise that's unnecessary. And when you have to tighten each one individually, it's two times per stick. So that's just eight more bolts that you have to tighten. And I yeah. think that's an improvement he's made with the fix is that's kind of why he made them. He's like, I like the packability, but it, it, it doesn't really make that big of a difference to me in my mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, it's funny how that's a huge point. Just like it's less stuff to do. You know, less mm -hmm. stuff to make noise, less times when you're doing that. That's just another time for your release to clank on something or whatever, you know, just simplicity. Tyler has, uh, we've used a bunch of sticks, right? And we used, uh, I used some Hawks this year. I used XLPs. I used Timber Ninjas, which are real nice because they're lightweight. Mm -hmm. And we actually like those quite a bit. But uh, honestly, his Muddy Pros are really hard to beat. They're not the lightest, right? But they yeah. have that cam cleat or whatever and just a rope. And it's just like. That's so, nice. so simple, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I what uh how do y'all feel about this? Are like how often are you you setting up within hearing range of a deer that's gonna hear you clank that that footstep over or whatever? I mean, it's multiple times a season, you I bet. bet. What about but you? I bet it's not I'd say quite a bit. Yeah, y'all are y'all feel like you're hunting pretty close. Like, well, I mean, bedding. so it's tough. Well, buck might be different, but I feel like I'm around does a bunch, okay. you know, mm -hmm. so, but it's tough to say how far can that deer hear that? You know, that's the other uh, hard part. That's the weird thing. Cause if you've ever like heard your buddy rattle from like 30 yards away, you're like, I can't believe how quiet that is, mm -hmm. you know, but of course different sounds carry differently too. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, the deer, deer fighting is not necessarily a sound that's meant to carry probably, mm -hmm. you know, there's a aspect of that that's supposed to be muffled, I guess, but you know, it does carry to an extent. So I was oh. just wondering, I was just wondering because like, I, I feel like I'm a little more lax about that kind of stuff, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not super worried about like, of course I'm as quiet as I can be, but if like I ping something off of a tree step or something, like if my saddle uh buckle if my buckle hits my like platform or something like that or my stick i kind of personally i think uh you know if i'm thinking about it right it's mainly this is like i'm thinking an afternoon i'm setting up deer bedded um i don't feel like super worried about that i feel like a deer is gonna it's like a quick sharp sound and the deer puts its ears up and then like three minutes later that deer is just back to relaxed you yeah know? i see your point but I'm not saying that you can't spook a deer with it either. Yeah, I, I hate it though, especially yeah. the buckle hitting the platform. I hate it. But I think it's uh, it's kind of the aggregate of it's like you do it once, just like you're saying, not a big deal. But if a deer hears like four or Two five or three, weird yeah. things over there, no way it's coming over yeah. this way. You yeah. Know? So I think that that's the thing that you have to try to avoid, and that's kind of one of the nice things about those timber ninjas is that you put daisy chains on those things or something like that. I mean, yeah. there's no moving parts at all. Dude, I hated our daisy chains. Do you use, <laughs> what do you use for straps? I use daisy chains. Are they, are they Amsteel? They are. Yeah. It's probably a little yeah, bit that's better. What we would we use, we use some webbing daisy chains, you know, um, that are, they're flat and they're a little bit harder to get apart. You I'm know? lucky that I didn't use those in real cold weather. <laughs> Cause my fingers won't work in cold weather. I'm just, I'll be sitting there fiddling with those things forever, man. Yeah. But, yeah. Have you, looked at the uh ultimate stick attachment system do you know what i'm talking about uh -uh. what's what is that the usa system i don't know some of these you know one of those saddle forum guys came up with this deal and it's really cool though um 
He's never killed a deer, but yeah, but he fiddles with stuff. All right. No, I don't know. I'm that. I, if, if he's listening, I'm just I don't know who it was, but um, it's like uh, a rope with a loop on one end, and mm-hmm. then it's uh, it's literally a lineman's rope. So it has a loop on one end and a prusik on the rest of it, and all you do is fling your prusik around. Put it around your Versa button or whatever, and then tighten that Prusik down to the tree, and you got it. So no metal, and it's just a rope on a stick, and it's holding about as tight as anything can. So I'd love to try something like that. I mean, that's yeah. one of the issues we were having with the, the daisy chain is like it, it kind of seems like there needs to be twice as many loops for me because I'm like in between loops yeah. on it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like it's really good once I've seated the stick down, but once I put any upward pressure on it, it comes out, and that'd yep. be nice because that's what I liked about the original straps that I had on my s- sticks. Even though they had a metal button on them, I could get them as tight as I wanted exactly. There wasn't yeah. like in between a chain, so I like the idea of that. That sounds the, cool. The tighter you can get something, the less bark noise you have because you don't have to shove that thing down a long ways. Mm-hmm. Something mm-hmm. I did learn if you're losing or using daisy chains is that um, you can take that stick. And turn, you know, figure out where you're like, oh, I'm not quite where I need to be. You know, you're talking about between loops or whatever. Yeah. Take that stick and actually turn it off the tree, put it in the loop you want it into, and then put that where pretty much your strap is directly around the tree. There's no sag in it or whatever from the stick. It's kind of hard to explain on audio version, but you put it in the one that you wish you could get it into, then grab your stick top and bottom and twist it around and you can get it on the tree. Hmm. Um, so if you have a lineman's belt on, it's the only way you really want to do that, right? But um, you can get it on there, whereas, you know, throwing it around the tree and trying to make it loop with the stick in place doesn't really work. Um, might not be the quietest thing. You just kind of <laughs> have to judge it from the situation you're in, you know, but right, it works. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Well, yeah. I think we're, we're running a little over on time. I want to be respectful of you guys' time. I, I appreciate you guys coming on. For yeah, absolutely, people man. that are uh, – for people that are listening, how, how can they connect with you guys? Uh, so we have, you know, the general social media stuff and uh, YouTube and all that. So you can find us at the Element Wild on um, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. There, we have a uh, Element DIY hunting group too, uh, which is kind of more discussion based, which is pretty fun. It's on uh, Facebook, it's on Facebook, and then uh, our uh, YouTube channel is the Element, which um, you might just search the element hunting. We're like, if you search the element, we're like the 10th thing down on the search thing. But if you search the element hunting, we'll come up first. So science and skateboarding. That's right. A little skateboarding. Yeah. Hey, where do I get one of those hats, man? Yeah, no, I, I send you guys one. I've got a bunch of them. Those are cool, cool, dude. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. I actually had a guy in Snyder, Texas make these. He does like custom leather patchwork. He does a really good job. It's cool, man. I like your logo too, man. It's neat. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it guys. Well, thanks for jumping on. We'll definitely do this again sometime. Yeah, sounds good, man. Good talking to you. You too. You guys take it easy. Hey, guys. Appreciate the listen to the Hunter's Advantage podcast. 